Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacy Brookman. After 17 different specialists, they determined that I had cancer with two years to live. If I didn't have a hysterectomy, I would be dead. When the doctor gave me that prognosis, I said, excuse me, but A, I'm going to have a baby, and B, if I'm dead, I can't have one. He stood up from behind his desk, pointed his finger in my face, and said, then lady, go home, suffer, and die. Well, hello, life storytellers. This is Stacy Brookman, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the podcast with stories of real people who have gone through real tough situations. Our guest today has survived the challenges of major illnesses, devastating personal losses, sexual abuse, and financial ruin more than once. Yet, she's refused to become a victim. She has found her key to happiness in spite of these things, and I know you're going to want to know what that key is. Before we discover more, let me share something with you that might change your life. You've been through tough times in your life. We all have. But there's a powerful truth. Your stories will reveal wisdom that you don't know you possess. The question now is, where do you start? There's a simple, tested, step-by-step flow for discovering your life theme and putting your life into a beautiful story. A story that allows you to be the best possible version of yourself. Register now for Stacy's next free webinar where she reveals the four simple, proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story this week. Simply click on the link in the show notes or head to stacybrookman.com slash webinar. I love to hear from listeners personally and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode or to ask me a question. My email is stacy at stacybrookman.com. Now let's welcome author of the blog, Never Ever Give Up, and the memoir, Battered Hope, Carol Graham. First of all, Stacey, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on your show. It's always wonderful to be able to share your story because you really want to be able to relate to people who have similar circumstances that possibly might be able to be helped and encouraged by what you have gone through. So I love shows of this type. I don't think we have enough of them. There are so many people hurting, it seems, more all the time. I agree. Essentially, my story... And I do a lot of public speaking. I share to many different types of women's groups, business groups, etc. On tenacity. Essentially, people, I think, get so overwhelmed by even one or two traumas in their life that they have a difficult time to imagine someone who has gone through one back to back. Like there were times in my life when I didn't even want to answer the telephone because I thought it would be just more bad news. Mm -hmm. And it almost conditions you to expecting something negative. And you have to work at the opposite. You have to work at hoping for the positive. And so that's what has got me through. Essentially, I was born very ill. My parents uh, never could figure out what was wrong with me. And, And when I was, by the time I was a young woman, after 17 different specialists, they determined that I had cancer with two years to live. And it was uterine cancer. I was told that if I didn't have a hysterectomy, I would be dead. Mm. And when the doctor gave me that prognosis, I said, excuse me, but A, I'm going to have a baby, and B, if I'm dead, I can't have one. 
So if you want to take everything out, uh, that's not going to work. <laughs> and if I'm dead, it's not going to work. So he stood up from behind his desk, pointed his finger in my face, literally like scolding a small child and said, then lady, go home, suffer and die. Oh, my goodness. And everybody has the same response as I did at the time. But what that did was that was the pivot in my life that made me realize that I'm in charge here. I'm in control. Nobody is going to tell me that I'm going to die uh, or anything else for that matter. So I stood up. I didn't wave my finger mm -hmm. at him, but I should have. And I said, I will walk in here pregnant one day. And I spun on my heels to leave. Oh, wow. And I was shaking in my boots. I'm a young woman. This is an established specialist, gynecologist. And he's telling me that if I don't listen to him, I have no other choices. Well, 14 years later, I did walk back into his office pregnant. Now, that was not an easy road, and it's not something you just make that decision, then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and it's all better, you know? Wow. <laughs> I went through hell in many different ways, but also as a result of finding my own, my own cure for cancer, I was able to become a certified health coach and symptomologist, so I can help so many others, which I would not be able to do if I had not gone through that. And through my life, there has been a lot of trauma, as you mentioned. I was gang raped and left for dead on the street. Wow. My husband went to jail as a result of our partners who were corrupt and lied. And the only mm -hmm. person who was privy to the conversations that we had to prove that we were in the right committed suicide right before the trial. Um, we lost a child after having him for a year. He was an adopted son when the birth mother decided to take him back, and we had him for a full year from three days old. Oh, my goodness. We lost another son five years ago who was another adopted son. We had him for 30 years and three children, and one day he just decided he no longer wanted anything more to do with us oh. for no given reason, none, absolutely, and we have not seen him since. I have recently written an article about the difference between losing a child through estrangement and losing one through death. And the conclusion is, by many who have gone through both, is that it is easier to go through the death of a child, as difficult as that is, because there's closure. When you lose a child through estrangement, there is no closure. Again, I've been able to help so many women going through similar situations because I've been there. Uh, two times in our business career, our partners have seen the handwriting on the wall of our success and were able to, because we were naive and didn't, you know, take the necessary precautions because we trust people, but they were both times were able to rob us totally and completely of our um of our business and both of them were very successful and we were left literally with nothing we had our ho one house burned down another one completely vandalized i mean you i could go on for <laughs> for a while here but there was always trauma one after the other carol that's a lot to unpack so i'm sure people are wondering how in the world can you go on after all of those things, time after time after time. I, I understand not even wanting to pick up the phone for expecting bad news to happen. So how do you go on? Before I answer that, I'm just going to share one other thing. Mm -hmm. And that is 20 years ago, my husband was in a car accident that was not his fault that left him completely disabled with Parkinson's disease and a host of other problems, including brain injury. 
And being a health coach, I was able to bring him back to almost 100% function. And then three years ago, he was in another car accident that pole vaulted him right back again. So how do, so much of it, Stacy, is attitude. The reason I mentioned that about my husband is one of the things when you are living with a brain damaged person is they usually 99% of the time have a serious anger problem. With brain injury comes anger. And what that did is taught me patience. And the different specialists over the years had told me that very rarely does a marriage survive that kind of stress because you are living with somebody you didn't marry. You are living with a totally, completely different person who doesn't have any patience of their own because they, you know, that's why there's so much anger. They, they aren't capable of, of dealing with that. So I learned patience. It has helped me not to judge people because you never know where they are and where they're coming from. So true. And it's taught me resilience And the huge thing and an answer to your question is humor. I have learned how to incorporate humor in every aspect of my life. Mm. And to keep a man laughing when he has nothing to laugh about was a huge feat. But it's worth the effort because we've been married 45 years this year. And he loves me more than he did from day one and vice versa. So it doesn't matter what you go through. If you are prepared to work at it and to look at it as a stepping stone rather than a setback, you will overcome it. So how do you keep up your humor or how do you find that humor? And I've been in situations too. Sometimes you just have to laugh or you're going to cry instead. (laughs) How do you find that humor during those times? I think, what, well, first of all, I think sometimes it's almost innate. You know, it's just the way I, I have always functioned. Mm-hmm. But also, it's to look at the opposite. Like, if something really negative comes your way, you know, to, when you take a positive look at it, like, for example, getting stuck on the highway, we've all been there, you know, there's been a car accident, and, and you, you get angry because you're late for your appointment. But that could have been you in that accident. Right. And so you look at it like, you know what, if I had been a minute later, you know, I could be dead. Mm-hmm. And just by looking at things from a different perspective, it helps you to take it lightly. And when you take something lightly, you aren't overwhelmed by it and you can you can find humor in it. Well, I didn't have to make that appointment, which I didn't want to anyway. You know, whatever. Right. But just looking at things differently and perspective is so huge. And the other thing is I knew that if I didn't find things to laugh about is I would be crying. Mm-hmm. And so that's a choice too, is, you know, we watch funny shows, we read funny books, we tell jokes, we, whatever it takes to lighten the situation, you, f- you find ways to do it. So I search for things that are unique and funny so that I can share it with him to give him a laugh right. because he suffers with chronic pain 24 seven and severe chronic pain. So if you can get somebody to laugh, who's, you know, in severe chronic pain, you've accomplished something, makes you feel good. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's kind of all relative too, because with all of the things that have happened to you in your life from day one until now, possessions probably don't matter that much to you or little slights that might make somebody irritated probably don't irritate you because you know what? I've been through other stuff that's way worse than that, right? Yes and no, because sometimes, you know, 
<laughs> I'm a perfectionist and I'm a, I've got OCD. So everything has to be in order. And if, mm, <laughs> if things right. get out of order, they're extremely frustrating. So yes, those kind of things really frustrate me, but I'm also the queen of organization. And oh, I've, I've written actually many, many articles on organization and keeping things organized really is, you know, it's a help. Yeah, that's key. So you have a memoir, it's called Battered Hope correct? That's correct. What time frame does that span in your life? Basically from birth to about 20 years ago. Okay. Because it, my editor said it was becoming too overwhelming. People wouldn't be able to handle it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of cut it off with just like an epilogue kind of thing. Right. But the book is written as a novel and it's written as a mystery novel. Of all the reviews I have, most of which are five-star reviews, they all say the same thing. Could not put it down because you want to know what happens next. It was so funny when my husband read it after it was done writing, he said he had to read it to find out what happened next and he already knew. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I just looked at it. That's like, good writing. <laughs> exactly. Because, and that's, you know, believe me, it uh-huh. is very stimulating and exciting. There's not a page in there that you don't want to turn the page and find out how the heck did she get through this one? And, oh, and that's it, fabulous. there's a lot of emotions in the readers because they get very angry at the people who had hurt us so drastically and sent mm-hmm. my husband to prison and on and on. And I think that's what you want when you write a memoir. I love that. So if we had some people who are listening that have gone through some similar things, similar experiences, they've had issues, health issues, or they've had family issues, or even nefarious deeds you know, against them, what would you recommend for their steps to recover from those type of things? One of the big things I believe is dealing with one thing at a time. Even this morning, I counseled a woman who is going through so many traumas in her life. And I said, take a deep breath and start with one. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the smallest one, you know, whether you're having issues with your children or the largest one where it's a major issue in your life. But start with one, see what you can do with that before you go on to the next. The other, and I think is so important, is to put things in perspective. Mm -hmm. Does this really matter in the long run? Am I making something more of this than what it is? And what can I do to change, break it down even even more so within the situation? You know, everything is different. Like, for example, let's go with health, because health is a major issue with a lot of people. And I knew that I was not going to have that baby nine months after I left that doctor's office. So I started with the basics. I found a nutritionist that could help me. I did the work that was involved. And as it turned out, as I said, I ended up taking the courses and becoming one myself, but never giving up. And it's the tenacity that you have to decide for yourself, am I going to stick with this or am I going to quit halfway through? Because if you quit, you're never going to succeed in no matter what you do. And we all hear that. So take it in baby steps. I think that is the most important is baby steps, one thing at a time. Like when I knew someone very dear to me who has recently endured an incredible struggle and she said if i can get through 24 hours i'll make it to the next one Mm -hmm. and so look at it from that rather than you know this is too overwhelming there's no way i'm ever going to to be able to handle this but handle it one moment one hour one day at a time get to the next hour and then take that on rather than looking at the big picture and feeling completely and totally overwhelmed oh that is such great advice because when you look at 
all the piles and the things that are in your life and the lists of things you have to do and the demands on yourself and yes. your time and your and your mind it can get very overwhelming so i love that even take a day at a time and even an hour at a time if you can get through the next hour and try to find something to laugh about mm -hmm. it literally you know laughter is the best medicine and it really is because it takes your focus off of what you're going through and there's lots of things to laugh about if we look around us we rescue dogs we rescued 30 dogs and believe you me when you rescue dogs that have serious health problems they can <laughs> they can provide a lot of comic relief because some of them <laughs> have you know i mean we've had them where we had a hold up their back ends to pee uh -huh. you know like and you make something funny about it like okay enough already let's get through this you know and and i mean we've been able to through my education and health have been able to restore their lives and man that's something to rejoice about Absolutely. so it's you know but comic relief definitely can come from animals and they certainly lick our tears too oh absolutely so carol can you tell me a little bit about what type of support system you had did you have any support system at all as you were going through some of these trials no no, I don't think no, mm. I very much alone. And also, one of the reasons it took me 10 years to write my memoir was because I didn't, I knew how overwhelming my life would be to put it onto paper. Mm -hmm. Because when you have so much going on, people think there's something wrong with you. Right. And so they tend to want to stay away. So if you want to have any friends at all, you don't share with them. In hindsight, that wasn't good. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> because you do need a support system. But no, my parents died when I was young. And essentially, I'd, my sister, I guess, would be who was a long distance away, but an encouragement, but basically no support system. Mm. And that shows that you can be your own support system. I have a strong faith, mm -hmm. and that would be my support. I love that. Because there are a lot of people who do feel like they're alone in the world and they, they do feel like there's nobody to help support them. But also there are people who have so many problems like yourself that they're afraid to tell all of them to somebody for, you know, somebody might think yes. they're, they're odd or weird or it, it, uh -huh. ultimately it's your fault because some of these have got to be your fault. There's so many crazy things happening. One thing I will interject here is that there was a time when I did try to kill myself and that story mm -hmm. is in my book, of course, but there also, I feel, uh, I want to share this with you. When when we did lose one of our businesses, it was at the same time when we lost our home and everything else. I was in the hospital in the United States with spinal meningitis. Oh, wow. Which just came on. My husband had just left for South Africa on a buying trip, and we had sold our home. We were going to move. The movers were scheduled to come. I went to my sister's, stayed with her in Wisconsin for, uh, was going to be a couple weeks while he was gone. And in the meantime, I came down with spinal meningitis, which they never did figure out why, ended up in the hospital and got the phone call that our home was completely destroyed oh. and also that our business had been our bank accounts had been wiped out all of our holdings all of our stocks all of our real estate holdings everything was taken all of our inventory was taken by our partner who just basically he did it because he could wow and never saw him again but the point that i want to make here is that when i was in the hospital i made the phone call to my husband in johannesburg south africa and he answered the phone and he sounded very strange. And I asked him, are you okay? And he said, not really. And I said, did your father call you and tell you what happened? And he said, yes. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, at the precise moment that you called. Now, this was three o'clock in the morning in Wisconsin, in the hospital, 
back in the day when you didn't have cell phones. Mm -hmm. And I called and the sound of that telephone stopped him because he was on the 19th floor balcony railing. Oh, no. Ready to jump. Oh, wow. So when I say that faith has got me through, it certainly has because I knew that there was a God that was watching over us Mm -hmm. no matter what we're going through. Because faith can get us through. God is there by our side all the time, whether we think he is or not. So I agree. And we need to recognize that. Mm -hmm. So that's all part of, you know, when you have a support system is recognizing that your support doesn't necessarily your best friend. (laughs) Yeah. Besides your memoir, you also have a blog and a bi weekly talk show. It's called Never Ever Give Up Hope, correct? That is correct. I think that's fabulous. And you interview people with remarkable and heartwarming stories about how they conquered overwhelming obstacles and achieved success like you. Absolutely. What is one of the top takeaways from your guests, how they overcame those obstacles? 100% is attitude. Mm. Because when you change your attitude, you change your life. I interviewed a man recently who said the difference between a rich man and a poor man is attitude. And that's all. When we change our attitude and look at things from a positive perspective, no matter what we may be going through at the time, we look at things differently. And it's like somebody swearing that they didn't get the parking space, but then realizing that they needed to go around the corner and find a parking place there because they were going to meet somebody they needed to meet. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, instead of cursing the situations we're in, taking them and using them to help us understand where we're going. How do you change your attitude? Think different thoughts or what happens? How do you, how are you able to change your attitude? One of the things that helped me was I made the choice to do it. Mm. For example, the many different things that we went through, trauma in our life, were not because of something that we necessarily did. It was something that people did to us. And it doesn't mean that you deserve it. So I could look at that and say, well, I don't deserve for that to happen. Poor me. And that was, I think, an attitude that is usually very quick for us to grab onto. Mm -hmm. But I chose not to go there, which is one of the reasons and one of the things that that is webbed through my memoir so strongly is not holding unforgiveness. You know, when people do things to you rather than badmouth them and say they did this to me and consequently poor me and consequently I have the right to, you know, to feel sorry for myself. I have the right to have this negative attitude. It's blaming, you know, and blame Mm -hmm. everybody else for my problem. No matter what happened, we had a part some part, whether it was a small part, Mm. you know, so we always can learn from those experiences and grow from them. For example, you hear these stories of women who have been gang raped or even raped, and they never let go of it. It basically controls their life. You know, they had this happen to them. Consequently, they can't do this. They can't do that. They've lost their own security. There's so many factors or this happened, move on. And Mm. I chose not to feel sorry for myself for whatever happened. And I chose to forgive those very quickly, immediately when something negative happened. And that is what people get out of my memoir. No matter what happens to you, you have the right to take it and let it control you or to just let it go. Because there is, why would I want to stoop to that level of negativity and allow that to control my life? So it is a choice. It really is, Stacy. And that's how we change our attitudes. And when I said, take it one moment at a time, one day at a time, today, I will not badmouth my ex-husband. Right. 
Mm-hmm. You know, today I will not get angry at my children because they're total losers or whatever and take it one step at a time, whatever is really bothering you in your life. You know, today I'm not going to swear at my boss under my breath. <laughs> I'm going to think that, well, maybe he's got some issues too and just try to look at things differently and make that choice. And all of a sudden you realize you're a different person wow. because you've made those choices. But the biggest one to me, and I think one that people deal with so much is forgiveness. Mm. is being able to forgive you know it happened it's over move on learn from it help somebody else who may be going through the same thing but blaming everything that happened into your life because of somebody is not going to benefit you all it is going to do is bring you to their level Mm -hmm. no it's not easy it takes work but it starts with a choice wow and never ever give up hope right never i never did and i never will no matter what happens there's always that thread there's always something you can look forward to if you choose to look well carol thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and bringing your story to life here where can our listeners read more about you my website is battered hope if they look up either never ever give up hope google it and i'll pop up perfect well thank you so much for all that you're doing and sharing your story with the world we look forward to talking with you more thank you very much stacy i really appreciate it Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. Carol mentioned humor as one of her key resilience factors. Humor is a well-known resilience strategy. In their book, The Resilient Self, Dr. Stephen and Sybil Wallen state that humor can turn nothing into something and something into nothing. A blog post on this emotional life goes further to explain that when we can see the humor in our situation, we're playing an observant role. We are standing beside our painful situation when we can laugh at it. It gives us a chance to stick a pin in negative emotions and choose actions that are coping and positive. It's hard to wallow or ruminate in negative emotions when you're seeing the absurdity in your situation. It does take a bit of psychological distance to see humor in our situations. Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl wrote in Man's Search for Meaning that it is well known that humor, more than anything else in the human makeup, can afford an aloofness and an ability to rise above any situation, even if only for a few seconds. So, may you find some measure in humor in your tough situations today. Well, that's all we have for today. Last episode, Louise Congdon talked about being homeless at age five and how poetry saved him. So if you've had a tough childhood, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview Antoinette Martin, who was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer. She explains why we should hug everyone we know. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. Before you go, don't forget to go and register for the upcoming webinar, Four Simple Proven Methods to Writing the First Chapter of Your Life Story in Just Seven Days. Head over to stacybrookman.com webinar for that. One more thing, we're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So, our memoir of the day is The Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom. This Dutch watchmaker became a heroine of the resistance, a survivor of Hitler's concentration camps, and one of the most remarkable evangelists of the 20th century. 
she and her family risked their lives to help Jews and underground workers escape the Nazis. For their work, they were sent to Nazi death camps. Only Corey, among her whole family, survived to tell the story of how faith ultimately triumphs over evil. Check out The Hiding Place and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com 100 memoirs. And always remember, life is a story, and it's never too late to start telling yours.